What's up, guys? Welcome to the Waypoint 107 episode. <laughs> That's episode 107. Uh, we Today, we're going to be giving out Craig Euler's uh, secret <laughs> GPS locations that I stole last year. Uh, the biggest uh, lake trout in Pactola. Yep, that's guaranteed to catch it. And, uh, yep. Um, you know, we tried to get $10,000 out of Craig to uh, to shut us up, but uh, he could only come up with nine. So uh, That's right. So you $100 a chance to... Yeah, 100 <laughs> yeah sign up yeah that's what we're gonna do we're gonna raffle off craig oiler's <laughs> gps locations and donate the money to hooked on hard water there we go how can he I, say no to that he can't really be <laughs> that mad man we really backed him into a corner right there that's he's not good. even here to defend himself so i don't know that's good i wouldn't say it in front of him because well i don't want him defending himself like i, I want to throw punches while the guy's asleep <laughs> all right well that's that uh a little bit of housekeeping to uh to inform everybody Shirts are officially in. Um, probably by the time this episode comes out, uh, they will be in the mail, uh, mailed out to those of you that uh, purchased them. Uh, we appreciate all of you. Uh, we do have a couple extra shirts in uh, in some select sizes, but uh, it's only like really one or two. I, I wasn't gonna um, go crazy on shirts. If if we need to, like I said, we'll we'll uh, order more. But uh, just to let you know that they are here and. Uh, if you're listening to this, you can probably expect them in the in the coming days. So that's right. Boom, and they look bad. They look they look really awesome. Gunmetal gray with the Ooh. American flag logo. If you didn't order one, you you're missing out. So you might want to order one. Now. Be careful what's going on nine months from now. <laughs> that's all I've got to say. <laughs> Otherwise, you might want to not open up the package. <laughs> all right. So then there's that. Uh, Fantasy, fantasy fishing. fishing, fantasy fishing. Uh, what are we up. like? Freaking twenty-eight days away from yeah, the first it. Bassmaster tournament of the year. It's getting here. Oh man, I'm pumped. So we got it set up. A lot of guys are starting to get signed up for it. I think we have nine in the group Do so we? far. Good. Um, if you go to Bassmaster.com and go to the fantasy fantasy fishing part link on there. It'll take you over there. You can get yourself signed up. It's free to do. Yep. Um, our group is called the Midwest Angler Podcast, or just Midwest Angler Podcast. Um, and the password is Dirtbags. Dirtbags. That's the best With password. With a capital D. With a capital D for Deitch. <laughs> Deitch no. the Dirtbag. No, because they're capital D Dirtbags. Capital D Dirtbags. <laughs> Nope. So, so get signed up. It's yeah. a lot of fun, guys. Um, a lot of trash talking yep. going on. We like to razz each other with it. It's real easy to do. Uh, I'm sure they're going to do the same format as they have in years right, past. Right. It's just, yeah, they have, what is it, five brackets or groups. Five buckets. Buckets yep. that you choose one angler from, and uh, and then you choose a tiebreaker. It's the weight, what you think the total tournament weight is going to be. So I don't even put in weights. You don't? No, I just for, I just skip right over it. But, uh, I, yeah, honestly, you know, it starts A, B, C, D, and E. Yep. Uh, the A is uh, the best anglers of the tournament, uh, you know, what they figure. Uh, oh, well, the season, how the points right, are AO going. Right, angler of the year uh, season and, and uh, whatever. I mean, if you it, it shows you the own percentage. So, I mean, you could literally just pick the best ones. And, uh, I mean, I really truly think a lot of these guys who don't know a whole lot about Bassmaster Elite Series – you get about three tournaments in, and and uh, I think you fall right into it. You you start understanding, and and you you, you start learning some of the personalities of these anglers, their strengths, their weaknesses, and uh, 
Yeah, they yeah, it's fun. You know, and they have just like you would like with any fantasy sports league, they have some guys that will break down who who's good from each bracket right. at that body of water or how it sets up. Rich Lindgren from Hellabass right yep. up in Minnesota is one yep. of them. So so it's it, like I said, it's a lot of fun. It's a good time. Definitely get signed up for it. Even if you don't bass fish and don't know anything about bass fishing, you can still do quite well. Yep. So then there's that. That's it. Hey, guys, we got a guest today. We have a guest. Requested guest. The creator of the T2. Who? This guy put the T2 in the toothpick. He did. Todd Todd. T-O-D-T-O-D-D. Todd Todd uh, from over in Illinois. And uh, one of the, I mean, truly one of the icons of the sport, really. For sure. And uh, guess what? We got him on the Midwest Angler Podcast on the Waypoint 107 episode. So, without further ado, we're going over to Todd Todd. Hey, Todd, how's it going, man? Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Todd, we, we always like to get our uh, show started with some random questions, and uh, so uh, I'll, I'll get started here. Um, when we had Scott Brower on, we asked him who would win in a fight, Scott Merwin or Craig Euler. So I'm going to ask you who would win in a fight between Scott Merwin and Scott Brower. Who's the tougher Scott? Oh, man. I don't know. They're both great guys, and uh, I'm not one to pick sides. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to stay neutral, huh? How about in a fish-eating contest, then? Oh, man. You guys are raking me over the coals here. <laughs> um, you know, I'd have to go with uh, Mr. Mackey. Mr. Mackey, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Mackey. Okay. All right. Poor, poor Merwin. Merwin, He just loses out every time. We've kind of been taking shots at him here lately quite a bit. We better settle down (laughs) for his well-being. Oh, no, that's, oh, man, that's uh, picking on the guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, Merwin can definitely uh, lay a smackdown on the fish. Uh, you know, Scott on his home waters, especially Osakis and other places. I've known Scott for years and fished with him in a few places, and uh, he can he can definitely uh, put the hook to the to the fish. No doubt about it. <laughs> All right, here's another one, Halen. Since you're from Illinois, pizza, deep dish or New York style? Uh, neither. Neither. Not. All right. No, no, no. More, more, more thin crust tavern more. style. All like right. Tavern style. Uh, Crispier you know, the better. Yeah, you know what? I love deep dish on a cold winter night. You know, you know it's ten degrees outside. There's nothing like uh, you. You get the right deep dish. You only eat one pizza. Piece <laughs> of pizza. Right. You're done. You know that in the grain belt. You're, you're, it's lights out. <laughs> the old Except grain I, belt. Ha- I have to I have to sneak that across the border when I every time I come and visit. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. nice. The truck's a little heavier going home. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, uh, you know. So Todd, Matt just mentioned. You know, you're obviously from Illinois. Tell us about your little slice of heaven there, where you're living. Uh, where Where is that? Um, I live in northern Illinois. You know, born and raised in this area, and I currently. I live 26 miles south of the Wisconsin border. Um, it's kind of on the north end of farm country. So uh, I, I got to travel a little bit. Um, in, 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 there's not a lot of water. Um, within 50 miles, we have the Channel Lakes. 
that's kind of our, our gem. It's an hour from Chicago. Um, it's a 45-mile river system that connects 15 different lakes. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and, and there's guides. I have friends that guide um, year-round on it. Uh, I'll run trips. I'll guide on there. Um, I've personally seen a 29-and-a-half-inch walleye. Uh, Chris Terrazano with T-Bone Guide Service, you know, he's gotten 50-inch muskie. Uh, there's multiple uh, tournaments throughout the year that are hosted on, on this chain. And there's actually at the bottom of the chain, there's a lock and dam that the Fox River then flows out and okay. then eventually connects to the Mississippi River. Right on. What are, what are some of the species that you got in that? Uh, well, you got your white bass, yellow bass, crappie. You know, largemouth, smallmouth, perch, you know, muskie, walleye, um, sheephead. Okay. Everybody loves sheephead. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they do fight. put up a good fight, yeah. <laughs> They'll pull you around exactly. the lake. Um, you know, there's, I mean, it seems, um, you know, ice fishing my whole life, it's, it's really strange within the last several years where people are actually targeting catfish, especially channels that don't go dormant and they'll they'll get on a pretty good feed bag so uh you can actually get on a actually a good catfish bite on the chain if you care to also okay well matt klug uh he he targets a lot of them uh catfish that isn't where he is though is it no no he's he's i know where matt i fish with matt matt's a friend um matt's uh you know fishes the kind of the that rice lake chain um there's salt of st cloud right yep I've fished with Matt, and we've we've whacked cats over there. Now you're probably about about the same distance as far as south as we are over here in Northwest Iowa. Do the, what do the ice conditions get like over there? Well, I'm 52, and I've been ice fishing since I was a little kid. And uh, matter of fact, we didn't have plastic buckets; we had metal buckets back then. When Dad would bring us out and. Um, I remember when we got our first uh, spoon auger, and I remember in 1979, my brother bought the first uh, Mora uh, uh, hand drill instead of a a, a spoon. Um, and I've seen 19 inches. That's the most I've ever seen. Okay. And, you know, I could, even if I say 40 years, you know, so if I can, re- re- you know, recollect till I was 12. What what is the average like? When does the ice come on? Usual, you get safe ice over there. Um, you know, typically the first weekend in December. Okay, and that's when we're starting to sketch out on the channels, um, uh, of the smaller bodies of water and boat channels, even on the bigger water. So you that's, do uh, you you kind of get a little bit before us, I would say. Yeah, you know, the winter's crazy. I was at Okaboji two weeks ago, you know, in, in many places on Boji weren't explored yet. Right. Know? So yeah. I, me and one other individual, uh, Shane Hunter, you know, we packed up and we grabbed the live scope and, you know, we went exploring um, to uh, spots that we know there's fish. And we were the first ones to explore because, you know, ice was just building. Yep. right. Me and Matt were actually over there that weekend, and that night I ended up talking to Craig Oiler on the phone and, and said to him, you know, hey, I think, you know, we're we're thinking about having Todd Todd on the show. And he's like, well, Todd Todd's over at Okaboji right now. You should have met up with him. And, yeah, go figure, we were we were just a mile the other way from you. Okay. 
not doing as well as you probably. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know we did uh, we did put the smack on the fish pretty much. You know, I wouldn't say every day, but we caught fish every day. Did okay. Oh, quit We're bragging! All right. Quit bragging! You caught more than Shane, though. Um, oh yeah, you did. We know we we know you did. Well, it depends which day it is. <laughs> the, the day that ends in Y. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, day he got malaria or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So Todd, where and when did you start fishing? Did did you start there in Illinois, or did you go up to Wisconsin? Or? No, no, no. We fished. Um, my dad loved ice fish, and uh, I'm the youngest of five, so um, you know, my dad would take us kids out ice fishing, and you know, when I was little, and then my um, my two older brothers, my one brother in particular. Um, you know, he was hardcore into it. You know, he's seven years older than me and I, you know, reading, uh, fishing books. And I remember, you know, him, him always just reading, reading, reading and, you know, like the worm blower up or, you know, like I said, he was the one in 1979, you know, to, to, to buy the moral auger instead of us using, you know, the, the spoon auger. So, you know, I, that's when I started and it just evolved from there, my passion, uh, for ice fishing and, throughout the years just you know like everybody else just taking a little step further a little step further and then you know myself when i started reading articles and then you, you see things that maybe other parts of the country are things that we don't have right and that that's what really made the difference and then you think back in the 90s when the internet um was really popular and message boards you know then then you know even guys that uh, were making things in their garage and, you know, selling online and, oh, you'd order from somebody like Mackie Plastics. I mean, his baits are still hand poured, you know, at his place in New York. Right. No. Uh, but prior to that, how would you have heard about it? Well, and that's exactly. just it. You know, you've kind of, you've, you've seen it all. You know, you were, you were really before the, the, uh, the forums and then you saw the forums and now you're seeing Facebook and the other forums of social media and, and, uh, yeah. you know, it's got to make it easier for you, a guy who, who spends as much time traveling as what he does, you know, to, to branch out and meet people and, and, you know, network and, and go fishing all over. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Dave Gens, a good friend of mine, you know, it's just, I, I just love listening to, you know, when he tells the stories of, you know, how it, everything came to fruition um, you know, and designing the trap, but, and then the, where the material came from, you know, well, he worked right. at American linen yeah. and then the linen, cause everything back in the day had tablecloths. Well, you know, most every, you know, restaurants were all cloth. It wasn't disposable. And then, well, he had a connection for the linen. Well, that's where it came from. And that's why there was white ones and there was also green ones. And then there was wood bottoms. And then when they went to the plastic bottom and knowing the history of the plastic, well, if you look on the, if you see an old one, it says calf cart. Well, when the cows, they drop the calves in, in late winter, early spring, they got to get them to the barn so they don't freeze. Well, that was this little plastic sled. And that's how the first plastic bottom came about. No kidding. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't I, know that. Uh -uh. You know, so you, and you figure within a kind of short order, because, you know, roughly 79, 80, and then, 
by 83, you know, Dave was selling them. And then, you know, he, you know, there was no internet and it was just traveling around word of mouth. And, you know, he would ship them by Greyhound, huh. you know, and, and then, you know, with the, the, then, you know, what he called the trap attacks where basically he'd drive around also to, you know, sell his, his fish trap, but, uh, and promote the sport of fishing and, and educate people, uh, you know, but then once the internet hit and, and that's when it really took off. So like in 1997, when ice team was formed, basically with clam Vexlar and strike master, um, then there was more money behind it. And then there was other sponsors and then we went to a two man event instead of a single man event. And, you know, it just from there, um, it grew and grew and grew and they took 150 teams and then so if there was a full field there'd be a payout i i believe it was uh twenty five thousand dollars holy moly so yeah that was uh you know that was a pretty good payout you know for a, a sunday of fishing and then the top 10 teams then would go and fish the championship each year and then the championship's always in december it's kind of like uh daytona they start the season with the big race Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, so the top ten teams would would go. Um, you know that was, uh, yeah, it was neat. And things were a lot different then. You know now it's uh, it's it's kind of a young man's game, and you got to have deep pockets. Yeah. Pretty much every team out there has got you know you know twenty five hundred dollar live scope. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, me and Matt were just talking about it today. You know, is ice fishing getting too expensive? Well, any, you know, any sport is expensive depending on, you know, how, how deep you want to get into it. You right. think, you, you know, you can get a set of golf clubs, you know, for a couple hundred bucks. And then, you know, you can spend, you know, five grand on a set of golf clubs and you could buy a golf cart. Yep. Right. You know, I used to fly homing pigeons and, uh, you know, you'd think, oh, you know, you get a couple of pigeons and well, geez, you want a good pair of breeders or you want electronic clock, um, you know, so. You know, you still guys out there, you'll see an old timer out there. And, and even in Michigan, that guys are still running their spoon augers that are sharp as a razor. And, uh, you know, just with an old stick and pulling fish topside. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely crazy. It, it, yeah. Like you said, it's as much as you want to spend on it is really how it, you know, it's going. Let's let's talk yeah, about them well, homing you, pigeons also, for a second. Have, you have the, uh, the, you know before we didn't have the ability, you know, you, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, you didn't have, you know, graphite rods and carbon, carbon fiber handles. Right. You know, so think, you, you know, you, you really didn't have much to, you know, to choose from in, especially on the top end, you know, and you look at the, it's the fastest growing um, outdoor sport, but it's still such a small niche market because, you know, people in Alaska, you know, how much do they ice fish? Maybe a little bit. But those guys in Hawaii, Texas, Arizona, <laughs> right. they don't care. Right. They would if they could. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now, hold on a second. Let's, let's go back to that homing pigeons. What, what, what do you do with the homing pigeon? Well, uh, I mean, I know that you can take them out and you let them go. And they no matter what, they always fly home, right? Well, not always. I mean, you know, sometimes hunters get them. Uh, the hawks, 
they oh. fly into wires. But basically, there'll be a club, and you'll have a homing pigeon club. And say if you were in, you know, Worthington or say in any town around Worthington, they could each have their own club. And then say the night before a race, what everybody would do, they would go down to the club, and then the birds would all have uh, electronic, well, now it's electronic counterband put on them, and then they get loaded into a truck, and then they would say, take it to um, Mitchell, South Dakota. Yep. And whatever that is, you know, whether that's 300 miles, 350 miles. And then they would let the birds go all at once, and when they come back to the person's house, they go across this pad and it and it records the time and then it's all done on yards per minute so if one guy you know if the bird comes home at nine o'clock and the other bird came home at nine o'clock but the other guy lived on the other side of town 10 miles well he would win so yeah that's uh it's uh i used to fly a vase in 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 a, a pigeon race in vegas and you would ship the babies out there people from all over the world would first place was a quarter million dollars no kidding <laughs> so yeah. how how far how far would you dare bring them away from your place there in illinois i mean how far can they make it back oh 600 miles in a day no problem really that's crazy yeah 600 miles yeah they're quite an athlete you know that can travel you know 60 miles an hour and, and you keep going you know you look at a horse what a, what's a horse running a mile Right. Half mile. You know, here here's a bird that weighs one pound it is gonna fly sixty miles an hour on the wing for, for ten hours. If we if we take off from Worthington, drive them out to Mitchell, well I gotta stop for gas and food on the way back though. That dang <laughs> pigeon's gonna beat me. That's, yeah, it will. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I I you know, I've heard of them, but I really never knew nothing about it. And I know this is a fishing podcast, but I had to dip into that a second. <laughs> No, right. It's neat. And, you know, it's it's a dying sport. You know, a lot of, you know, people did it growing up and, you know, it was something to do. And then uh, uh, I knew a lot of gentlemen that were in World War II that used them for communications. Right. And right, then when, yep. after when they came home from the war, they continued with the birds and in the sport. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. Now, now with that competition, Todd, when did you fish your first tournament? Um, early two thousands. I, and I, I, I was fishing the trap attacks Okay, and, uh, the trap attacks ended in 2008. Okay. Um, and then it went to the North American ice fishing circuit. So when you, you show know, up to your, where, where was your first tournament? Uh, Redstone, Wisconsin. Redstone, Wisconsin. So you show up there, Todd, Todd from Illinois. I mean, who, who are some of the other anglers that are there that, that people might know? Oh, back then, uh, well, you had, you know, the Martins, the Wrights, the Youngs, a lot of Michigan guys. Um, uh, boy, that's... Uh, Any Cowboys from Nebraska? You know, and I don't remember Don Cox being, um, coming to Wisconsin. Um, and, and, and Wisconsin was always a good tournament because that was by the Dells, and it, it, it filled up. You know, that one, you know, always you know, got pretty close to, you know, to hundred and some odd teams. Oh yeah. You know, but the, you know, things uh, changed, you know, the economy in 2008 fell out right? and uh, you know, that group of guys that fished it were kind of pioneers in, in, you know, with electronics, you know, the ice suits, uh, you know, a lot of guys, you know, work construction were laid off for the winter. So they had a little bit of money, you know, and, and went and did it. Isn't it crazy, though, that we're sitting here talking about a sport that was in the early 2000s, 
you know, and you know, that's, that's when these pioneers were there. And, you know, I mean, that's only 20, 20 years ago. I mean, it's just crazy thinking how young this sport truly is yet. Yeah. Well, you know, well, Dave started this, the trap attacks, you know, I, before he built the, I, and put into production, you know, um, the, um, the, the, the ice shelter, the shanty. Oh, did he? Okay. You know, so it was probably, it was, it was close. It was like right around 79 ish or so, you know, when, you know, he was, uh, you know, starting to get this thing going and then traveling around and to Okaboji and Valentine and, you know, promoting, you know, the, um, the fish trap. Now you, you talk about, you had the live scope out and you were using it. Do you think that like, that's totally changed the way the tournaments are fished now? Oh, wholeheartedly, even in the summertime. So you can pull up to a dock and say the dock is 50 feet long. Every 10 feet, there's pilings, two, four, six, eight, ten. Well, you look at those 10 pilings, you can see if there's fish on each one of those pilings. You don't have to waste your time casting to all 10 pilings. Yeah. Do you, do you think that live scope should be allowed in ice tournaments? I don't know. It's a tough. You're not question. wrong. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a tough I mean, question. No, we know, we talk no, about it all the time. You know, I don't know. You know, um, you know, talking even with Dave about certain technologies it, it, as it's come along. You know, he's like, "Well, you didn't ride your horse to the lake, did you?" Right, right, right. Um, you know, and you think back then, you know, it's like some of those tournaments, no power augers or no no vexlar even. Well, you have the technology. Why not use it? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't limit the technology. Then you're just limiting the sport as a whole. And and uh, I mean, you know, obviously, ten years ago, we would have never thought that there'd be something like the live scope or this active target and whatnot. But uh, you know, who knows well, what could really, be ten years from there, now? There really was. Actually, the, if you look back at the what they were doing with the hummingbird and side imaging, kind of that 360. Yeah. Uh, I re, I first saw a guy. Uh, Jim Coptro, they call him the crappie professor. He's a full-time guide now. Um, he had um, his hummingbird set up, and then he had made a PVC contraption just like now the uh, live scope has, and he could spin it underneath the water and shoot out and see what's on cribs. Oh, that's... And that, you know, and that was in you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Right. Yeah, he should have you know, marketed that a little bit more. Well, he probably yeah. I guess uh, you know he's a fisherman, <laughs> right? <laughs> when it kind of well, if he's fishing in tournaments, he kind of wanted to keep that one close to the hip. So. I believe that. Yeah. Now, now, take us. Uh, you, you got any super high finishes or just a memorable tournament that that you'd tell uh, us about? Well, um, I've had many different partners uh, over the years, but uh, at the national championship, my uh, partner and I we did take fifth place. So. You know, we, we had a top 10 finish in the in the championship. So, you know, going, you know, um, and that was uh, the first championship I'd fished with this partner. So that was kind of nice, you know, to, you know, come in fifth out of, you know, uh, out of a uh, hundred teams or so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ain't nothing That's, wrong with that. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and cashing a check. And if, if, if he kept his mouth shut, we probably would have had. Uh, a fourth place finish. Oh, let's liked, hear it. He liked, let's hear it. He liked to he liked to brag and show, it was like you know you don't show people your fish, you know and and it was like thinking about it, we're kind of new and we're young and you know it's like why do we have a target all of a sudden on our back? 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he'd, uh, you know, you show the resort owner. Well, guess what? The resort owner's telling everybody, oh, cabin six, those guys, they got a haul. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I suppose that's how it happens, but. But, you know, um, it was competitive back then, but. I, I don't know because I've been out of it for so long, but it was it was pretty friendly. You know, you made you made some real good friends, um, you know, and uh, had a lot of fun. Now, if, now, if you had to fish more tournaments now, would you rather fish by yourself or do you like the team aspect? I like fishing by myself. Do you? Well, yeah, yeah that's it. Uh, you know, you can you know you can you can always count on yourself or let yourself down. Right. Yeah. No yeah. one else to blame. Yeah. No one, no one, no one else to blame. And, I know how and that goes. I'm a competitive goes. person, whether I'm throwing darts or flying pigeons. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a competitive person. Oh yeah. The sad part about it is just, you know, there, there, there's no more money in it. Right. You know, it's just the the lack of participation, and um, I'm not sure why, but uh, well, you know I, the. They don't have full fields anymore. I, I, do you think it's just because it's like uh, the ice fishing tournaments don't seem to be, you know, as mainstream as say summer tournaments are? Do you think it is a lot of the people that are getting into the ice fishing kind of are doing like the social media aspect more of it, trying to be content creators, you know, YouTubers, stuff like that? You know what? I, I can't really say what what's driving it, but you know, it, it started dwindling. You know, twenty years ago. Okay. You know, you think not quite. No, no, it was uh, no ten years ago. Excuse me, ten years. It was ten years ago when you know, and it's just been a somewhat of a, a a slow progression of uh, you know, of of non participation. Do you think another reason? Do you think it might be? It's tough. Do you think it's it's too much work for some people to to go out there and do all the pre-fishing and not you know ideal conditions well you know what i think you know the like i said the economy when the economy tanked in 2008 and and we had several years and you think a lot of guys that fished that were off in the winter were construction well you know anybody in the trades they were they were laid off right you know some of those you know they didn't work for years yeah. You know, I'm in the trade, so, you know, and had nephews, um, you know, that were painters and carpenters, um, you know, that, that didn't fare very well at all when the economy went bust, you know, so you didn't have all that money and have the winter off to go fishing, Yeah. you know, because it, it, it's costly. Yeah, for sure. You know, and if you're in the trades, a lot of the trades guys, if you don't work, you don't get paid, you know, there's no vacation. Yep. Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, you think the travel has something to do with it? You know, I mean, even at Okaboji, you know, there's maybe really two tournaments, you know, that that's, you know, I would say decent money, you know, that you could make, you know, say even over four, four you know, four figures, uh, uh, you know, a thousand bucks or something. But, uh, you know, otherwise, I mean, you really, you know, you're going to have to go to Wisconsin. You're going to have to go to Minnesota, South Dakota. You're going to really have to travel, and maybe that's part of it. I, I don't know. Well, there, that's it. You, what you, you know, to me, and I'm kind of a numbers guy, so it's your ROI, man. What's your return on your investment? Yep. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I went for uh, Thanksgiving. Um, pretty much we start the season on Thanksgiving fishing somewhere, and uh, to go to Metagoshi and back, 
I spent about $500 just in fuel. Yeah. Right. You know, for, for, you know, a few days of fishing, you know, that's, you know, that didn't include lodging or anything else. Right. Yeah. Eating on the road and, and yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is what I live for. So, so far this winter, I've already fished in five different states and I think I'm at about 4,100 miles. (laughs) How how many fishing licenses do you normally carry a year? Normally between five and seven plus Canada. Okay. You know, a lot depends on ice conditions. Uh, you know, so I will have uh, fishing licensing uh, anywhere from, say, North and South Dakota all the way to Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, you know, plus, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota naturally. But uh, in all those travels, do you have a certain spot that like kind of holds a spot in your heart? Like that's one of your favorite places to travel to? Uh, it's got to be the Detroit Lakes area. Yeah, it is a pretty cool area up there. You know, you know, um, the, the Ely, Minnesota area is beautiful, but uh, you know, um, if if weather permitting, um, we start Thanksgiving Day on Upper Red Lake. Yeah, we'll we'll go we'll go smash the walleyes, and then we will travel over to Detroit Lakes area, and uh, we we start fishing with Dave. Plus, it's his birthday, so. Off and on for the last eight years, uh, you know, I'm I'm with Dave on his birthday. Well, that's and not that's the worst. Some, <laughs> that, that's yeah, a good that's guy just, to be with on his birthday. Yeah, you know, so that's just something that we just kind of, you know, it's funny because you know, come November, someone, like, uh, Dave, what are you doing for your birthday? And they'll go, <laughs> you mean where are we fishing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this year, Dave and I, we ended up in Matagoshi, just because the ice wasn't that great at home. Right, Matagoshi. That was uh, that's that's. Way up northern North Dakota, right? That is part of the lake is actually in Canada. Yep, uh, and and you were yeah. with uh, Peters and Euler and and those guys, right? Yep, yep, that uh, yep. They uh they'd come. I'd rented a big house, and uh, we all stayed together. You know, this this place I rented was just amazing. I I don't know if it had like fifteen beds in it, two giant bathrooms. Holy buckets! Yeah, can't beat yeah. that. Yeah. So you know that that's always a season kickoff, and Craig did with. Craig came up and fished with me about, I don't know, maybe about eight years ago up there. He did it once before. Yep. Huh. Yeah, up at Matagoshi. Now, what's what's the wildest state that you've held a fishing license in? You know, outside of the, the upper Midwest here. Uh, well, Ohio and and fishing Lake Erie. I don't know that big water is just different. Or even Lake Superior, man. It's uh, you know. Um, and next month I'm flying to Cascade, Idaho. Oh yeah. And, uh, going to go put the smack down on those jumbo perch. So that's going to be, that's going to be a big adventure. Yeah. yeah. That looks like a fun one. Yeah. That, uh, and you know, it's uh, like when you get the hot stock tip, you know, you best, you best buy now. And I want to get there before, uh, environmentally things change and those perch don't grow that way you know whether you know whether it's predation by man but also environment has a huge huge role in in growing fish Yep. you know people always think it's just you know guys you know killing fish and you know taking them home in buckets but the environment and and weather and and having the white right weed growth and 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 hatch of uh forage 
that that makes a huge difference in, in growing fish and especially big fish. Oh, we see that around here with Spirit Lake over there at the Iowa Great Lakes. The perch over there, the perch fishing is really good right now, but they the biologists say that you know the biggest they're going to get is like 12 inches. You know, every once in a while you might get a 13, but it's not like the jumbles that you run into up in North Dakota and stuff. And it, you know, a lot of it has to do with that forage that they're eating. Exactly. That that it's you know fish gets done or they just don't have nothing to eat. Lake Redstone in Wisconsin is a classic example. Been fishing it for 15 years, and there'll be schools of crappie the size of a semi, but there's it's just dirty muddy water on a dammed up flowage, and there's not a lot of forage hmm. to and grow big fish. There's lots of fish, but not to grow big. Huh. What's your what's your PB going into that Cascade trip? Excuse me. What's your personal best perch uh, going into that Cascade trip? Oh, let's not talk about perch. Perch is <laughs> perch is um, even in the open water on Lake Michigan when guys might get a sixteen incher or fifteen. You know, no, I'm shit. I I don't think I've ever broke twelve inch perch. I've I've failed miserably when it comes to to perch my biggest perch probably came from leech lake you know six eight years ago and i it wasn't that big yeah perch if just i've never been on a good perch bite you know like in the wabay webster area just north of you fellas yeah um i've been over there and fished and um never you know millax one time we had an okay perch bite um but yeah i've never Never get on a big perch bite or much of a perch bite. Huh. How much uh, how much open water fishing do you do? Little to none. Really? Yeah. Just, just a I nice tried, guy. I I, yeah, you know, I used to. I've owned several boats. Um, this winter, I made uh, two trips to Ely and one to uh, Lake Erie. And, um, you know, with, I, you know, taking my kids to the boundary waters, but other than that, I probably wouldn't, if it wasn't for the kids asking to go. Huh. Well, that's all right. Well, you know, there's only so much time and money. That's you know, right. you look at a guy that musky fishes, you know, he, he's not fishing for walleye or you guys look at a guy that's serious about bow hunting. You know, he's not out whacking geese necessarily. Yeah. Right. You right. Know, he's hardcore. He's in the stand and, you know, this ice fishing, this has 100% except I'm looking at two robo-ducks right now. So. Well, it's got 95% of my attention. 95%. That's, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, because I just carry decoys upstairs in the barn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the problem sometimes with our uh, sportsmen. Our ADD kind of kicks in every once in a while. We're just like, we're going to go ice all. fishing so much, then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I saw a pheasant the other day. I think I'm going to go after some pheasants. That's jack-of-all-trades, yeah. master of none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no well, we, go ahead oh i know you you no we're uh yeah that add that kicks in and 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 actually uh yesterday was our last day of goose season here um in illinois you do quite a bit of waterfowl hunting y you know this year was rough I, I don't know what you guys seen for migration but for us it, it was the weather was so warm up north um, I killed one goose here, and I killed a couple ducks over in Indiana. Okay. And, yeah, I uh, think I think that's the, kind of what I've heard from everybody. You right, know, normally yeah. we get out and do some geese hunting, and uh, 
Uh, I ended up having a baby that uh, came right during uh, the season this year, and so my uh, my hunting was limited. But you know, all of our buddies that even got out, it it wasn't good over here in Iowa either. Yeah, next week I had a friend that was uh, gonna go down and go down south in Missouri and hunt ducks, and they said, "Yeah, best don't." There's, they're not there. They're, they're hanging out in Illinois. It's, it's just this year, everything's just it really is. goofy. Not a lot of snow, not a lot of ice. Yeah, crazy stuff. <clears throat> now, uh, Todd, not, you're, you're not only a good fisherman, uh, but I've heard you're a spectacular cook. <laughs> well, if anybody ever seen a picture of me, never trust a skinny chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I travel with a grill. I love to cook. Um, you know, and you know, some you but you guys hunt geese, so if you, yep. you know, when you shoot a geese, a goose, it's you know, it's like sometimes it's like it's not that palatable. And um, but you know, you can make it pretty darn tasty and you don't have to drown it, you know, in in, in a in a pound of bacon. Um uh, so is it, making it, 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 it's, it's edible and, and actually enjoyable. Um, a simple way, like if you're shooting geese is you cut it in bite-sized pieces, you can take some flour, maybe a little cornstarch, some garlic seasoning and deep fry it and then cover it with a sweet chili sauce Ooh. or orange. Like you'll make general's chicken. Or yeah. you could just make it like instead of chicken fingers, make goose fingers. Yep. You know, maybe use a little shore lunch, cut it into strips, deep fry it. You know, so I mean, just you know, it's all about to me, man. I'm I'm almost gonna get hungry talking about it. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm kind of. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about this for you for a second. It, it, we it, we it, do some goose chislic and that's dang good. Yeah. Um. Or put it in a crock pot with some Italian seasoning. Yep. And then make make beef sandwiches out of it. Yep. Put it on some bread with some jardinier and some cheese. Um, and then even like fish, you know, instead of just always doing a fish fry, I, if uh, if you guys have ever had ceviche, yep, basically like fish salsa, you know, and then he, and then to take it a step further, instead of like a corn chip, you get a to, a tostada. Okay. But then you take you go to the grocery store and you find lime mayonnaise. Then you coat the tostada with the lime mayonnaise and put, and I'll use bluegill or crappie and, and make, you know, basically fish salsa, your ceviche, and, and put it on that. And with that lime mayonnaise, oh, holy smokes, man. Yeah, a couple, uh, a couple years ago, I made walleye guacamole, and that was pretty darn good. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, the, uh, the other day, um, it was kind of a big hit. Um, I had just uh, marinated doves. And with cream cheese jalapenos wrapped in bacon, and oh, I yeah. put like some uh, a, a, a sweet um, hot uh, rub on them while we're ice fishing. It was a nice finger food. Yeah, you know, just popping the, some uh, dove poppers down. How how did you learn how to cook? Uh, it wasn't my mom. No. <laughs> Just just trial and error. Just yeah. I was the same way. It wasn't my mom. I can tell you that much. You're skinny. I don't know. <laughs> dad dad did all the cooking for us. So yeah, the men in the family we we can actually throw down. A, my brothers, both of my brothers, my you know, um, and then it's turned into a competition. Then uh, every October we'd have an Oktoberfest, and this went on for almost 15 years. This Oktoberfest, and sometimes there'd be 150 people at the house. And 
each year we'd pick a theme. So like one year it was Mardi Gras. So, you know, it was crawfish autofay, alligator gumbo. You know, next year we, we made the theme um, Texas. So everything was beef or pizza or chicken wings. And then it became kind of a competition, you know, who could make the best cornbread or who could make the best this. And that then it became a theme. Um, and we can, you know, my brother has two 84-inch Lang if you're familiar, it, it's a it's an axled smoker that's oh, yeah. 84 inches long. He's got two of them, you know, and he used to own a meat market. My other brother owned a pizza joint. So, yeah, just eating and food's kind of been in the family. Is there <laughs> is there anyone in the Todd family that's skinny? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah? Brother and sister, yeah. Okay. Well, it, sounds yeah, like we, it, it sounds like we need to go over to a Todd reunion over there. But then again, those two might have been adopted. (laughs) (laughs) I sure to hell hope they're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) I can edit that out. (laughs) They got the they got the leftovers, which wasn't much. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, before we let you go, Todd, if 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 you had to leave the listeners with one signature dish and maybe just a quick uh, a quick little recipe and let us know how to make it, uh, uh, shoot us one. Uh, uh, a signature dish? Yeah, you got a signature dish? I Well, I don't know if it'd be a dish, but I'm telling you, that's ceviche. So basically, you got your cilantro, onions, garlic. You can soak your freshwater fish um, for a few hours in lime juice in case there's any parasites. Um, and you drain off your lime juice. You take your, and I just eyeball it, you know, you cut up a little bit of cilantro, onions, tomatoes, garlic. Um, put your fish in there that the lime mayonnaise and, uh, put it on the tostada. That's it. That's a Todd, Todd ceviche. I I, I feel well-traveled just, just being able to say ceviche. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next time I'm over, um, in the Okaboji or Sioux Falls area, I'll definitely hit you guys up and I will, uh, let you sit down at the table with me. Oh, Oh, definitely. That'd be awesome. You going out to Hoktown Hardwater this year? Yes, I will. Well, we'll, we'll see we'll you there, there, man. All righty. Well, right. I appreciate it, and you guys have a nice evening. You yeah, too, you Todd. Too. Thank you very Thank much. You. And that was Illinois' own Todd Todd. That's one more state that we've uh, officially knocked off. Uh, That's right. We've we've in, in our last two interviews, we've knocked off Illinois and New York. New York. Uh, we've had Nebraska. We've had Iowa. We've had North and South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. We're getting there. We're getting there. We know anyone like from Missouri? How much ice fishing do you think they do in Missouri? Probably not much in a year like this. We got to talk right. to Nathan Hagen and ask him uh, See what's how much going is going on, on down, down there. there. Huh. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, Matt, uh, dur- during that Todd Todd interview, uh, we, we kind of talked about is ice fishing becoming too expensive? And, uh, you know, this is something that me and you were talking about today over a text message. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting to hear what Todd had to say about it it was interesting you know with uh uh with talking about live scope and you know dave gens saying you know that he he didn't personally think you know well you know if the technology's there use it you know we didn't right. you didn't ride your horse to to the lake whatever um it's you know the equivalent you know with the live scope thing of when vexlars first started right, coming on right. the scene people were probably like no nah, that's not right yep yeah yeah you know i mean and and after talking to your grandpa you know uh, that was really 
LiveScope wasn't even much of a deal then, you know, and we right. were just talking to him about regular old depth finders and fish finders. And, you know, I mean, he thought, golly, the fish don't have a chance. I mean, if, if you would have thrown him 50 years ago with a LiveScope <laughs> in a boat, I mean, can you imagine what they would have thought? I know. But, but no, it is. It's really starting to kind of creep up there with, with the open water aspect of it. You know, you look at open water fishing, it it can be spendy at times because you're thinking about with the boat and, you know, your rig that you're hauling your boat with. And then the gear tends to be a little bit more expensive than what uh, ice fishing was is. And, but it's starting to kind of all creep up there. I mean, you're starting to see the G. Loomis ice rods. They just came out with the ice rods really? this year, and they're like $200 for for yeah. one of those oh that don't surprise so. me i mean they see the market and then and, and they're like well hey we'll we'll tap into this also and and i guess yeah you can't blame them i mean there's a lot of guys that swear by g loomis during the during the open water so right. why why wouldn't they go with them during the during the hard water but um you know and and i guess you know there's eighty thousand dollar boats you know i mean some of these guys are running eighty thousand dollar bass or walleye boats you know brand new fiberglass you know big huge motors on the back but with that being said, some of these guys are running snow bears. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, some and of these right up there with that. Right. I mean, cost. you know, I mean, there's there's thirty forty thousand dollar permanent ice shacks. Yep. You know, and and so I guess in my mind, is ice fishing getting too expensive? Yeah. I I you know, I, I guess I won't say it's it's getting too expensive. I I just love the fact that that there are these options out there. You know, I mean, before there was, you know, big plush permanent shacks and before the snow bear was around, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd i have had no issue with the sport evolving to that point. You know, I, well, well, heck yeah, you know, let's, let's put a small house out here on the, you know, on the, on the ice. We even look at the evolution of the portables. Right. I mean, insulated shacks. Right. I mean, people never really thought to insulate a shack like they are now, and now it's kind of obsolete to see a non-insulated shack out right there. i mean if you're gonna buy one you might as well get one that's insulated is it becoming too much to um y- you know obviously the the people that are serious they're not afraid to go out and spend uh you know six seven hundred dollars on an ice shack i mean they, right. they look at it as an investment whatever but is the entry level getting too expensive it's, i think it's i don't know if it's getting too expensive i think it's kind of getting to the point where it's scaring people to maybe not do it they are to kind of have an excuse of well i can't afford to do it because you know i got to get this i got to get that and they're not going to look at the you know they're going to be like well that one's not expensive as that one so is it as good as that one you know i want to get something that's nice but that's a great thing about everything now i mean Yep. Everything is nice, and it's a great thing about fishing. You can spend as much or as little on it as you want to get out there and do it. When I guess at the end of the day, all you truly, truly need is one rod and reel, of course, uh, one jig and a hand auger. Right. And you, and you can literally go out there and fish. Exactly. And, and um, that's, that's something that's the last few weeks that I've been talking with some people about, and I never realized that a lot of these guys that fish these ice tournaments aren't running expensive like rods and reels if you notice a lot of them run the schoolie reels yeah and they're like five bucks to get and a lot of them actually take ht ice, ice blue blues. rods and customize them do kind of you know you can get them so if you mess them up it's not like you're out a lot of money right but they put like the spring bobbers and they kind of just kind of customize it to their liking and stuff 
and that's what they use. Does that say something about the market? Well, I mean, is is this? I mean, have we seen? You know, I mean, obviously, it started off where you know ten dollar rods, you know, were, were you know the norm, and and then you know it kind of creeped up to twenty dollar rods, and now you know, I mean, Cold Snap marketing their their Redline Series rod at fifty dollars a rod is you know everyone looks at that and it's like, well, how bang, you know, that's a pretty good priced rod right there, right. I mean, well, I now, it, now $50 I, is, is the is the good-priced rod. And, and like you said, I mean, G. Loomis, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not knocking any of these brands, but, you know, the JTs and the tuned-up customs, I mean, these are, you know, hundred $150 rods, uh, you know, I mean, and now you're starting to see some of these guys go back to the HT Ice Blues for $5, $10 a rod. I mean, is that saying something about the industry? Have, have we, you know, is there a lot of people that have gone up there and it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, is there a little bit more sensitivity, but yeah, but I'm, I'm not afraid to break one. Right. I think it's us, us as anglers, as fishermen that kind of like tell ourselves that we can't catch the, catch it unless we have the good stuff. Right. You know, but it kind of got me thinking today, well, what's more important, the presentation or, you know, our presentation to other, you know, fishermen, how we look out there. We don't want to. Man, we don't want to show up with HT Blues because people are going to be like, that's what you use? Who well, who cares if you're putting fish on the ice? Yeah. I. You, you know what I mean? I mean, those with those schoolie reels, it's a true one-to-one ratio. You're not getting line twist. So, I mean, we all have it when we're fishing. If you ever can watch your jig down there where you get all that memory in your line from a nice expensive spinning reel, and they're all going to do it. And they're, it's spinning around. I mean, the, we've said it before. The fish down there don't care what you have. Those those ice blues are not the worst rods. No, I'm not saying that they're bad no, rods. No, no, I'm just no, saying, I know like, that. The prices, uh, but I mean. The least expensive. They, they uh, the, the tips on those are really, I mean, you know. Right. They, I mean, they're, they're, they're a dang good rod for, you know, the price of it. But, I mean, sometimes we tell ourselves it's $10, so we think. The, right the, yeah it can't that's be crap. it can't be that good you yeah. know it's not that's not good equipment but it's just like i, yeah. I don't I, it's one of those deals it's just kind of like it's almost kind of like a pissing contest sometimes to see like oh i have you know my shack's nicer than yours so it's more expensive so i'm going to catch more than you well we both fall into that well, I mean, we all we do. do we I all mean, yeah, do for sure i mean we got to tell ourselves we got to kind of stop you got to stop and tell yourself sometimes that it's just like okay no, you don't. You don't necessarily need that custom rod just to catch fish. I mean, you can still go out there and catch it. Right. Yeah. And and you know, I guess at the end of the day, uh, one one of the things when when we were down at the Cox Ranch, uh, me and Eric, and then uh, I think Don uh, was there that night, and Garrett, and and uh, uh, probably Josh and and Zach, and we were all sitting there talking about you know our go-to bluegill rod, you know, and and we were talking about the Cold Snap Redline Series rods, and uh, I you know I I fish with that light action one. Well, Zach actually likes, you know, like the medium light, I think it was, mm-hmm. or, or maybe even the medium for, for bluegills. I mean, a stout stick, but they were talking about, you know, the way that they fish for some of these fish, uh, really shallow water and a lot around a lot of like pencil reeds and whatnot. So, I mean, 
when they set the hook, they need to get I mean, out of there. Exactly. Or, or they're screwed. And, right. you know, I mean, they're, they're running six pound test, you know, where me and you were running two pound test. Right. And, you know, I mean, it, so just because somebody says, you know, Hey, what's your, what's your go-to bluegill rod? You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your application and my application are not the same applications. You know I mean? It exactly. All, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, some people want to see the bite. Some people want to feel the bite, you know, some, right. some, I mean, everybody has a different jigging cadence and nobody's wrong. And that's the coolest part about it. Right. You know, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, what do they call that long, not long lining, but they, they watch the line and what do uh, they call that? Like, is it straight lining straight liner? Yeah. I don't know. You know, they, where they don't, they don't want a sensitive there because right. they're watching the line and watching for that movement. You know, some people like a spring bobber, yep. and you're watching that spring bobber. So there's not a lot in, in the rod itself. You just want a good backbone so you can get that hook set into them. And some people like the noodle rods that have the, you know, the sensitive tip because you're watching the tip. And yeah, like you said, nobody's nobody's wrong. It's just all personal preference. And, again, I think sometimes we get caught up, too, by judging other people by, you know, by what they use or how they look when they come out there. But, I what? mean, they can... There's a lot of old guys that show up to the lake that uh, don't have new equipment. They've got right. their old equipment, and when they bought it, it was a $10 rod, and that was 30 years ago. But them dudes freaking know how to catch them. And that's what it, I mean, do we put too much emphasis on the equipment and not figuring out how to use it and, you know, becoming one? Well, I, I, for, sure fish, think, I for sure think we do. Uh the, the, this whole entire deal has got me thinking about just a freaking hilarious post on, uh, I, I got to go back here and quick find this a second. Um, so the other day, uh, God dang it. Can't find it. Or is it there? It's gonna be here any second. Come on. Come on. Fill something in here, Matt. Fill something, something in. in. <laughs> um, Hold on. I'm trying to think. Fill something in. Some filler, quick here. So, anyways, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just tell you right here. Okay, here it is. So I I'm I'm scrolling through Facebook, and this is slate woke up like in the middle of the night one night, and all of a sudden I'm I'm scrolling through Facebook as I'm warming up a bottle, and uh, here's a post. New beginner here, just asking some advice from some of you more seasoned and experienced ice anglers out there. What is the dollar amount that you spent on a new or on new or used equipment without running it past your wife first? Trying to find out that perfect doghouse but not divorced range. Hashtag this shit's expensive. Hashtag dream hobby. Hashtag dream addiction. Hashtag asking for a friend. <laughs> so I immediately put the ha ha on there and I'm like, this dude's freaking funny. I got to figure out who this is. So I click on the name, Bob Meyer, Bob Meyer, Bob Meyer from rock. From Rapids, rock Iowa. Iowa. He's an eye doctor out in Wisconsin. Now when he puts <laughs> us on there and I'm like, son of a gun, like that is freaking awesome. I, I need to find out that perfect dog house, but not divorced range. I but, liked his hashtags. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, but, dream hobby, dream hobby. You know, like there it is. Somebody coming in there, and if it's a dream hobby of theirs, but they're seeing like all the prices and what people are saying that you need to catch fish, right. you know, and all this stuff. It it could scare them off. Well, and you know, I mean, I 
the, I mean, there was some people that are like, you know, I don't have to run nothing past my wife. I bought oh, her yeah. a lake house this mm-hmm. year. Like, cool, pal. Cool. Like, it's badass. Like, I, I mean, I mean, really, truly, it, it's that's badass if you if you really did that. But uh, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you probably aren't buying tons of lake houses by just going and blowing, you know. I don't know. Probably some people are. Who knows? Whatever. But uh, you know. Bob had bought all the equipment. I mean, he he's bought everything except a Vexar or, you know, a Markham or, or whatever. Yep. And, and I told him, you know, that I, I dare say it's the most important piece of the puzzle exactly. you know, for, yeah, for me personally. So. Like I would, I'll go out without, you know, my favorite rod. I'll go out without, uh, uh, a shack. Right. You don't, I mean, yeah, you can get by without, I ain't going out without a Vexar. It's tough. I mean, I ain't doing it. a person I ain't doing can, it. but Period. It's, it's different after you've used one so much, it's different to go out there and try it without one. If me and you drove over to our favorite lake today and we got out of the vehicle and I realized I forgot my Vexar, I would say, Matt, wake me up when you get done. I'm, I'm hopping <laughs> in the backseat. I'll holler every time I catch one. Yeah, and I'd be on. <laughs> you. And I, I, I just mouthed that, but it started with an F. <laughs> And with a K. <laughs> All right. Fish okay. Hook. So I don't know. That was almost that was, that that story was probably actually almost going to be my good news story because I thought it was so funny. But uh, I don't know. You got a good news story? Oh, you know I really haven't thought about it up until this point. Good news story. Um, man, I can't I don't know if I really one. have one either. Something that I've seen. Trying to think if there's anything that's like non non fishing related that I can think of. Your cousin Katie's starting to do better. Yeah, yeah, I, I got to say that you know she's uh, my cousin Katie was admitted to the hospital with some stuff and then ended up getting COVID on top of it, and it was it was a pretty rough. That was a bad it was deal. Touch touch and go for a couple of days there, and it still is. You know, it, yep. you know, with all this stuff, it's. You don't know what's going, which way it could go, but she's going in the right direction right now. Her oxygen levels are going up, and she's only she's she's only twenty nine. You know, she's right. I mean, so yeah, it knocked her down, and I, I mean, she had other stuff going on or whatever. But I mean, that doesn't. That's I mean, it, it was a bad deal. But you know, I I feel like the the most awesome people always have the bad stuff, and you know, I mean, Katie is just such a you know she's a, she's a free spirit, and, right? You know, I mean, she she's gonna beat to her own drum or whatever but i mean uh katie would never speak bad about anybody and no. i mean just and and uh she likes fishing she does her and She's, colin I've, i ran into colin a lot of times down at the river and uh, they like to head down there and do a lot of that stuff so hopefully yep. she can keep going in the right direction like she is and uh be out there in no time doing it again yep and uh i actually will we'll, we'll do this one more time I was at Ace Hardware here in Rock Rapids, and our uh, buddy Bill Teasler yeah, is back at I, work and yeah, uh, I looking to good. Tonight, he, so. he told me he lost 17 pounds, yep. and he's uh, going to try to chip away, I think, another 25, 30 pounds, and uh, yeah. he's well on his way, looking good. I mean, yeah, he. I mean, he was excited, you know, to, he was excited to be back at work. He had gotten out onto the ice, so I don't know. I feel like that's two good news stories. I mean, hopefully Katie can keep powering through, but uh, looks like Bill's back on the right track. And uh, Oh, for sure. We got two fishermen, uh, fisher ladies, fisher, two anglers. We're going to call yeah. them Midwest anglers. We got two Midwest anglers that are back on the right track, hopefully. So I'd, I'd say that's the good news yeah, stories for this is. week. Yeah, those uh, are good ones. 
Uh, that means the Waypoint 107 episode is coming to a close. And uh, as far as GPS coordinates go, uh, um, that's like north and west. and how, how, I, don't, I don't even know how to do GPS. And seven, seven, six, four, dot, eight, five, six. Niner. Just no. start, yeah, just start, just start throwing out numbers. It's kind of like CBs, I think. I don't know. Yeah, that, that right there, we just got done... Uh, with the waypoints, uh, with the GPS locations. And if you didn't understand it, sorry, that was our code language. And 107 degrees north by 170 degrees south. That's what it is. It's degrees, degrees north. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. Oh, well. We, re- we really kind of, we, we blew it there at the last second. But, uh, <laughs> all right, whatever. Piss on it. We're, we're, we're done with 107. We will see you next week on 108 later. <laughs> <laughs>